This is Tom Lee, Editor-in-Chief of NEJM Catalyst. Today, as one of our regular leadership conversations, we'll be talking with Rob Fields, a family practitioner who recently became the Executive Vice President and Chief Clinical Officer at Beth Israel Leahy Health. Before that, Rob was Chief Population Health Officer for Mount Sinai Health System in New York. I think it's fair to say that these organizations, Mount Sinai and Beth Israel Leahy, they've built their reputations over many decades through excellence in specialty care, not population health. We're going to talk today about the challenges, the opportunities, and the imperatives of bringing population management to these kind of organizations. Rob, I think everyone knows the brands Beth Israel and Leahy, but everything's changing today. Can you give a two to three sentence summary of what Beth Israel Leahy Health is today? Uh, absolutely, and thanks for having me on, Tom. Beth Israel Leahy Health is really uh, still an evolving and emerging partnership, collaboration, merger, all of those things between not just two very large uh, academic health centers in the community, but also a number of community hospitals, ambulatory sites, behavior health, at-home services. So it's a whole host of a whole portfolio of healthcare services that are combined into one system. And, and I say evolving because it's still relatively new, right? It's uh, about four and a half years old technically, but with the pandemic, certainly focused on other things. So still really um, defining itself and really uh, rebuilding itself for the future, which is incredibly exciting. Can you give a two to three sentence summary of your role? You're the EVP and chief clinical officer. Uh, what does that mean? How do you understand your role at this time? Sure. The, the chief clinical officer role was actually a brand new role for the system in an attempt to try to match the, the evolution and growth of the system in terms of what it needed from clinical leadership. So different from a traditional CMO role, the chief clinical officer role here at BILH has also strategic and operational oversight over other business units like primary care, behavior health, continuing care. It also obviously has the quality and safety component but also has operational shared services like the central verification office or med staff credentialing kind of work, the transfer center, emergency management. Um, and then increasingly more involved in my, I would say more traditional role in my career, more involved in population health and managed care, um, as well as uh, executive sponsorship of the EPIC rollout for us and the Medicaid waiver. So it's a pretty broad scope which I really enjoy, actually. And interestingly, I find that most of these things end up being interrelated in ways that you might not expect. So it's it's been a good role. Now, if you go back 10 or 20 years, uh, the kind of physician experience that people wanted in a senior manager was someone who had overseen the operating rooms or actually had taken responsibility for the laundry and other core hospital functions. Now, Things must have really changed. Why do you think BI Lady Health wanted a population management leader in its most senior clinical leadership position? Yeah, it's a great question and was one of the reasons that uh, this role was really attractive to me is that they, as a system, would consider me for this role as a family doc. I think it really says something about the strategy of where the system is going and the values that the system has um, and 
certainly really defines future strategy. And and so I think, you know, I obviously was not there in the planning of this role in their recruitment, but in my interactions with Kevin, our, uh, Kevin Tab, our CEO and other senior leaders, it seems clear what they were looking for is someone who can not just be an operator. I've certainly have done operations before, although not in the hospital, as you pointed out traditionally, but I've done other parts of operations, but also more importantly, can think strategically about the long-term vision of where care is going. We have as part of our system strategic plan, which we call Blueprint 2030, a goal of providing the vast majority of our health services in the community and not in the academic centers. And frankly, we see that's where not only uh, care will be provided, but needs to be provided. And we reserve the limited resource of the academic health centers to the most complex cases uh, where that's most appropriate. And when we say community settings, that also means ambulatory settings, and it means a robust primary care environment. We, we have a vision to have Beth Israeli Health be a destination site for primary care. Having that be a priority for a health system I would say is somewhat unique and certainly in urban environments with lots of highly branded health systems. I think that's unique, but I think it's important. The population is aging rapidly and the traditional clinical, but also business models that, that made health systems tick um, are changing. And I think health systems need to be ready to, to deal with that. And I think my population health experience was attractive for that reason. Listening to you describe it that way, it makes a lot of sense. There are good people in the hospitals making the hospitals run well, but at a system level, you want someone who's actually thinking about a system. And that is right. what, that's the kind of thing that you've enjoyed doing for, for many years now. That's right. So how do you size up the opportunity? Should I say the imperative? Does it feel like an imperative to BI Leahy Health? Well, I think it absolutely does, but I, I would suggest that it, it should be an imperative for all systems. And I think if they are not paying attention to that imperative or that, you know, said differently, maybe the burning platform that exists out there, I, I think they're going to struggle if they're not planning for it. So specifically what I mean is, you know, historically health systems were really satisfied with driving their sustainability and programs to be geared towards a hospital, as you mentioned, and that drove enough operating margin to allow them to continue to exist. Certainly post-pandemic, as cost pressures have gone up pretty dramatically, and we realize that running hospitals has become incredibly more expensive post-pandemic than it was before, that plan of sustainability just may not work. And, and I think for most systems, they're evaluating the macro trends of cost as it relates to workforce, supply chain, et cetera, often looking at aging infrastructure. And then reconciling that with revenues that are not matching to those costs. And on top of that, the very significant macro trend of an aging population with 10,000 new Medicare beneficiaries per day, where that's, that's not been where the, the most hospital margin comes from, has not been in the Medicare space. So with knowing those trends, how are you going to survive? Well, I would suggest that all systems should have an imperative to be thinking about how they're going to provide community-based care for sure but then also uh, really get really good, frankly, at managing economic models that are based on some level of risk and managing populations rather than just trying to run a hospital. The hospitals are obviously an incredibly important part of the healthcare delivery supply chain, but I, I think hopefully everyone is waking up to the fact that that's no longer a business model that's likely to be sustainable, at least in, in the way that's always been run. 
So how do you actually go about the work? I, I mean, I think, you know, I do have personal experience being in positions where I would go to people who were my friends and colleagues, but I was trying to get them to do things that were not really uh, what they wanted to do, not what they felt was in in the interest of their particular part of the organization. So how do you try to move your organization toward goals that it was not necessarily organized to pursue? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, my entire career has been built on change management because obviously a lot of the things that we talk about, whether it's in practice redesign or even in quality, but but absolutely in the population health space is about changing behavior from the current state, right? You're always trying to improve and that therefore means change management. And this is, the, you're hitting it right at the core, right? The, the, um, change management is where it's at. I, I think a lot of it is messaging. I think with this type of wholesale change and transformation in systems, if you are essentially trying to mess with uh, with someone's business or their operations, the initial reaction in many cases is to reject it. And I completely understand that. Once once we get past, though, that initial sort of skepticism and hopefully not all out rejection, they think there's a conversation or, around how everyone can benefit. So what I mean by that more maybe you know, more concretely, when you think about value-based models, although that's just one piece of the solution set here, but, you know, value-based economic models, historically, I would imagine that a, a surgeon of any type would view value-based care with some level of skepticism, because, you know, if you're paid based on fee-for-service and doing more procedures, anything that hints at the idea that you would do fewer of those procedures seems threatening. But the reality is that there is a marketplace for value-based care to actually promote the right kind of volume, meaning can we identify patients that really actually need a certain intervention, especially costly interventions, A, but then once we have a mechanism for identifying those patients so that we make sure we're providing the right care to the right patient, then it's like, how do you then serve that to purchasers of services in a way that uh, is appealing. If you are an employer or in some cases government and looking to reduce your healthcare costs, you would want to choose high value. That means high quality, in my mind, it means high quality, low cost providers to provide that same service. Why pay 15, 20% more or more in some cases um, for the same service at another institution when you, when you can get similar or better quality at a lower price? And so that price sensitivity, I think, creates a role for value-based care, even on the specialty side. Let's be high-value providers in orthopedics and open-heart surgery uh, and you know all sorts of procedures. Let's be a high-value system so that we are marketable to purchasers of health services in a different sort of way that then translates into more volume. That's one example of many, but I, I think there is a role for all sorts of providers to be part of the, the future of the system. But the framing is important. If you, if you view it as a binary choice, I either transform or I stay the same and there's nothing in between. And I think that becomes more challenging. And I just don't see the world that way. Well, your logic train is completely uh, intact. And I don't know that the concentration span of all of our colleagues is long <laughs> enough that that they followed all the way through, but I it all makes sense. But so what are the biggest barriers for you as you go about your work? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on a lot of it. It, it is change management. I mean, I thankfully this isn't one conversation. You're 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 totally right on. It's 
it's hard to get people there on the on the first try. But what we're trying to build here at BI Lake specifically is a culture around all of that, about quality, safety, value, um, and our values in the you know big you know letter V version of that. Um, it's really building a culture around all of that. That doesn't happen with one conversation. It's a, a conversation that happens around after 200 conversations. And so I think, thankfully, I don't have to depend on, on yeah, the short attention span, cynicism, whatever reaction people might have to this. Um, so I, But that is the biggest barrier is change management. I mean, we're a new system. That, by definition, means you and, and we I should also say we're a new system that want that will be and is in many cases an operating entity, not a holding company. And so as soon as you define yourself in that way, what is the purpose of this merger? And the purpose of this merger is to have additive value to the community, then by definition that creates change. And there is only so much change management that individual systems are willing to tolerate. And so I would say that's the biggest barrier is the sort of time horizon and the desire for transformation reconciled against the, the capacity of, of individual systems to change. So thematically, I think that's our biggest challenge. And what gives you hope that progress is possible and maybe even happening? Oh, we see it. I mean, I, there are concrete things that we are doing that are may seem small but creating a level of systemness because it makes sense and people are supportive. We see examples of it all the time, whether it's work we're doing around our transfer centers or our credentialing processes. And again, they may seem small to someone who's not in healthcare, but getting individual offices and stakeholders to agree on any sort of standard around anything is a huge win in my mind. And so we, we are concretely seeing those kinds of services be integrated. We're seeing it in our financial systems, our HR systems. It's all progressing. And as I mentioned, we are integrating a medical record system through the entire system. That is a absolutely a force function on integration and really getting people to collaborate and stack hands on a set of a, agreed upon principles and templates and all those things that will help reduce variation across the system. And more importantly, improve communication and coordination across the system. So I have tremendous hope um, and optimism for the amount of, of positive collaboration and change we can get here. Do I think we're going to change the world tomorrow? No, but I mean, I'm, you know, I think we are very concretely making steps along the way faster than I think a lot of people anticipated we would. Well, let me close by just emphasizing that I think it's a very big deal that you were appointed to this position. This is one of the leading academic health systems in the country, making their top position a population health person, someone whose focus is really outside toward the patients, toward the marketplace, toward the communities, as opposed to the very important work of uh, earning the trust and uh, in improving the, the working relationships among the various types of clinicians in the hospitals. That's still very important work, but you're, you are here because Kevin Tab understood that an outward facing person was what was needed at this time. I think he's right. It, I think it was a brilliant thing to do. And even though I'm seeing patients myself in an organization that competes with Beth Israel Leahy, I am rooting for your success. And I'm sure we'll be talking to you more and following your progress. 
And uh, and I want to thank you for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And it's great to talk to you again, Tom.